super grateful for you joining me today. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to talk to Dave. Dave Carvassier is not just a, a longtime friend, uh, but he is also a journalist and, and not just a journalist. I mean, he's a father and a husband and a, and, and a, and a voiceover actor, which I'm really fascinated by. Uh, but the thing that really drew me to, to reach out to Dave, uh, and it was kind of fortuitous because he had been on my list of people to call and I kind of been chickening out. And then he called me for something and I was like, oh, this is good. Okay. So while <laughs> I have you, let me be brave enough to say, hey, would you, would you be willing to come and join me? And he graciously said yes. But Dave, you've been, you've been working in the field of journalism for, I, I, dare, I don't want to age you, but 30 plus years now? Uh, 40 all in all. Wow. Yeah. Most okay. of those as an anchor. Okay. And that's news anchor and radio or TV news anchor. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. So how, did you know early, early on that you wanted to be? Oh my gosh. You know, I, I was that like, that. <laughs> uh, I, I struggled with what I wanted to be when I was a kid. You know, I, I entered into college thinking I was going to be a geneticist, but then I was lousy at chemistry, you know? So I switched majors a few times and actually got a, a degree in education and uh, went back and got a master's in that. And yet um, I never taught. I just stumbled no. into broadcasting through radio. So really, yeah, that's great. And so, and radio was short-lived and you very quickly moved into television. Yeah. Um, there was, uh, I was just, this was in Grand Junction, Colorado. I was working at a top 40 station and I had started doing just little vignettes for the local TV station. Uh, a little, a little show called, um, uh cash oh i can't think of the name of it now um cash movie or something like big money movie something like that and you know where there's a schlump sitting there on camera picking phone numbers out of a fishbowl you read the number you call the number if the person's watching they win a prize that kind of yeah yeah yeah. and (laughs) the uh owners actually thought that maybe i'd look pretty good on camera so i pitched being a morning anchor and they they bought into it and that that was that was it we stopped from there that was it. So journalism is a really fascinating thing to me because there's there's yeah. so much of our culture is driven by mm-hmm. what we hear and what we see and what we read. And I spend a lot of time talking about accountability and vulnerability on this particular podcast. And a lot of that has to come down to like, you know, especially in the last few years, or we can go back as far as like the most recent or the the election of Donald Trump and the most recent election and all the things about misinformation and fake news and so much has come out. And so I've spent a lot of time sort of talking about how important it is for us to, to hear things, receive information, but also sort of take it with a grain of salt or hear it. And then like kind of the, you know, old adage, trust, but verify. Right. And yeah, I'm fascinated by someone who's been who's been involved in this industry since the seventies or well, 40 years, yeah. which takes you back to the eighties, right? Yeah. Late seventies, early eighties. So, so, I mean, you have got to have seen it just transform into something, you know, and I'd love to get your take on that and, and see okay. where it takes us. Well, I hope you don't mind my just rattling on then. Uh, so no, it's a loaded question. It's, <laughs> it's a huge question. I think it's important to mention the business of uh, broadcasting as well, because it's really driven the journalistic side. Uh, usually there's this, uh, there's this line drawn between 
a sales and editorial or news. And that line is becoming very blurred. Um, I mean, yeah. uh, you'll see throughout most newscasts today, all peppered through the newscast, you'll see sponsored by or, uh, you know, so and so paid for this or and, and that's, that's them reaching into the newscast, uh, which I think is kind of sacrosanct and shouldn't, it shouldn't be there. But it happens because the almighty dollar is really bidding these corporations that own stations now and there's really four or five. Other than the network-owned stations, there's Gray, Sinclair, uh, Scripps, which is, owns my station, and um, a Net, uh, Nextstar. Those four own, I'd say, 80% of the markets or the stations in this country. And, and Sinclair is very conservative. Uh, the other three are you know, mostly liberal. Uh, and But bottom line is they're... Uh, their stakeholders are asking, you know, for the money flow to continue coming in. Yeah. Well, that's hard when the viewership is eroding. Yeah. So they keep doing more and more desperate things to get viewers. And you'll notice a, a very sensationalistic bent, uh, you know, to the news, no matter where you watch it, be yeah. network or local. How, how, like, it's interesting to me that, because I think of news and, and I've not watched cable news and i've not lived in las vegas for almost a decade now um for probably about that time when we left colorado or when we left las vegas and moved to colorado i i sort of was like let's not do the cable thing let's just stay streaming was coming more and more so i get a lot of my news through the internet and sure. and i don't see a lot of the media stuff but i'm curious like just even in talking about the news you know, we talked about the business side of it, which I'm actually dealing a lot with, like with church, right? Like mm -hmm. my wife and I in the last two years have returned to church and, mm -hmm. and I actually now I'm a part-time employee of our church and there's this business side to faith. And that's just such a weird dichotomy for me. Um, yeah, I'm enjoying it, but I have to be very mindful. And I, I, I'm trying to set very good boundaries about what the, what the business side of this is and what my faith journey looks like. And I imagine that you've had to do that personally, because at some point, you know, over the course of the years, as the dollar becomes more, more relevant, the news becomes grayer, facts become, am I getting that right? Is that, is that tricky for you? I'd say uh, the attitude in news is they're grasping. They're grasping mm. to hold on to viewers and it's not going to work because only above 35 are there really consistent, loyal viewers. The rest are getting it, you know, right off their phone. Yeah. Um, and so over time, that younger set is going to become middle-aged and older and they're, they're not going to watch it. It's yeah. not their tradition to watch TV news. Now, yeah. having said that, a sizable portion of buying Americans, and that's the demographic is who, who's... What age group is spending the most dollars? Well, it's baby boomers still. And they're yeah. very loyal and active viewers. And so we do have them still. But I also want to say that uh, along with the dollar factor in the business of broadcasting, there's the factor that they all realize is that those viewers are going away for broadcast and they're going onto the internet. So all news operations are moving a sizable portion of their operation to internet streaming, uh, websites, social media, that's where a lot of the news gathering process, the yeah. result of that is going. Uh, for instance, when we send reporters into the field, 
uh, they pretty much have to file some sort of information on the story they're covering online first. And then, yeah, we wait till five or six o'clock to get it on the news. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's just the immediacy of it all. And, and that begs the question of how well was this information confirmed? You know, how was it vetted? Are we just interested in getting the news on first and then worrying about the facts later? Yeah. Uh, or, or confirming it with the authorities and the proper uh, channels and, and then getting it on the news. So, you know, this is, there's this funny little quote going around the newsrooms lately. And that's like, well, don't let facts get in the way of a good story. And that's what it's come down to. I mean, you hear more and more uh, error correction on air, yeah. you know, oh, we're I, sorry, we got the facts on that wrong. Mm -hmm. Here's what, you know, and it's you know, apologize later, but get, get it on the air now. Yeah. And I feel like that's a pretty big shift. I was listening to Matt Taibbi in an interview. Um, and I don't know if you're familiar with him or not. He's an independent journalist. No. Um, now he writes a lot for Substack and, and I believe worked for a long time for Rolling Stone magazine. Um, and he had a really interesting conversation about how, about what you just said about how fast news is. And he, he put a lot of the onus on that on Twitter and some of the other social media, huge. how fast we're getting things and, and, and referenced some MSNBC reports that were really done through tweets and it's, everyone's trying to be first past the post. And, yep. and then it was, oh, we the facts were correct, but the nuance and the context between there really shifted the narrative, right? Well, it and, even goes back to Gabby Gifford. If you'll remember that she was shot in Arizona, she was a local yeah, U.S. representative. Yeah, absolutely. And the first reports out were she's dead. She's just gone. Well, obviously she's not, and she wasn't dead. And and so yeah. that kind of error uh, just creeps its way into the news gathering process, and it's it's dicey. It's it's yeah. not good. Uh, I think What's it's. The conversations like what's the pushback like if you can be trans you know open about that like when they're having the conversations about because i think like there's some truth in in jest right so like you know don't let the facts get in the way is kind of a joke but it's also a little bit of a low-key permission to just get the story out uh so let me speak to a lot of micromanagement going on in corporate overlords in the newsroom um, okay. Every news director has a boss at the corporate level, and those people are are listening to their bosses, the corporate bosses, and saying, "Yeah, we our shareholders want more money, you know, so let's yeah. bleed these newsrooms for more and more uh, equity." And and uh, that means the news process gets a little, yeah, gray, you know, like you yes. said, it's uh, uh, we're we're pushing the sensationalism. I mean, the the word breaking news means nothing anymore. It's all broken. I mean, uh, it, what's breaking anymore? Yeah. It, it gets to the point where you've used enough superlatives like shocking and surprising and drop your jaw that nobody drops their jaw anymore. It's yeah. Uh, there's there's no word for what is truly breaking news because it's already been breaking yeah. on on lesser levels all along. Yeah. Yeah, I th does, do you think that lends to like a sort of a desensitization? Of Absolutely. What's and that's relevant why viewers are dropping off. They, they're, you know, they're not fools. We, we're not fooling anybody with this stuff. Yeah, they're they're realizing that the news has less uh, efficacy, and um, you know, so people ask me, where, where do you get your news, Dave? And I'm I'm like, well, I go to ten or twelve sites online across the political spectrum and I, yeah. I try to find the truth in the middle somewhere that's as best yeah. you can do these days yeah how hard is it for you to separate the profession from you personally because 
like i know you to be a really well thought (laughs) intelligent you know pretty positive guy not very emotionally charged (laughs) and and i would think for me like i could never i'd be sitting in that chair going but that's not i don't what (laughs) like how do you navigate that or is that just like you've been doing yeah, this, this so gets long into an area i'm probably not really comfortable about but but i will say that um because uh, i want to keep my job for now but uh <laughs> but numerous surveys have been done on uh, with uh, using the subject of working news people working journalists so a survey is done and and the population is news journalists and consistently across the board uh, they had labeled themselves as liberal 80 percent or more sometimes higher uh, so working in that milieu, you, you've got to really buck that trend as well. Um, yeah, it's um, you know it comes down. It really comes down to words, and this yeah. is why words are so important. This is why the First Amendment is so important, is because you can't squelch certain thoughts or words. Yeah, you can't say they're bad or you can't say they're hateful because they might they might consist of something worthwhile to the other side. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I'm 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 really fascinated by and trying to figure out how much energy to put into sort of a lot of what's happening with voices being shut down i've i've always been a very very pro first amendment pro i mean pro all the amendments like i'm i I could consider myself a constitutionalist on some level yes i think that, that those things are important and it seems like i i saw something yesterday that said uh you know democracy used to mean something different now it means if you don't agree with the majority we're just going to shut you down yeah and it really struck me like it certainly feels that way and i don't know if that's the truth um but yeah i i i I definitely wonder how fast moving information is and and therefore then you got to question the validity of the information and how do we manage that and so i love the idea i mean i i think i try to do the same i don't know that i do 10 to 12 sources i probably have five um <laughs> that, that i bounce around with and i'm well, on a good I'm, day i do 10 to 12. yeah <laughs> and i'm lucky I and i think you're probably you're in the business so it's yeah. kind of easier for you but like for the regular person who's working 50 hours a week and has kids to run to practices and schools it's hard for them i think to 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 do that level of reading or paying attention and so I think the default is a lot of people just they just tune it all out and then they then they're uneducated. And well, that's they, almost as dangerous. T- yeah. What they tend to do is go where they're comfortable. So Facebook has kind of caused this, social media in general has caused the, this polarity, w- which is based on people aggregating in their tribe, people who believe like they do. And then they sit there. They don't look at the other side, they don't listen to the yeah. other side at all. So if I were to yeah. say, you get you get five to ten minutes visit msnbc and then visit fox yeah and somewhere in the middle there's there's the truth um because they both hype their side um, yeah it's it's a tough one um yeah i i struggle with this a lot and and the first amendment is so important because i see mostly liberal um oligarchs of social media uh just controlling who gets to be on their site uh yeah. twitter you know is, is banning certain voices because they say it's hateful well yeah, it's not hateful. It's the other side. And uh, it, may, it may not be language you don't like to hear. And, th- and this is where language is so important. Now, the concept has been floated about language being violent. Well, yeah, no, it's it's not sticks and stones may hurt my bones and all that stuff. Like you, you really can't let 
words be violent. They can be hateful, yes, but most of them are just other points of view. Yeah, and really, like, and I, I, I get, I get flack from this from some of the people that I talk to because I often say, like, I can't be held responsible for how you receive information, because I, you and I can have a conversation, and everything I say, you agree with, and someone who's listening disagrees with so that doesn't necessarily make it wrong it just it's the difference right and so it's yeah i wonder if you have thoughts since you've been involved in the dissemination of information probably more than anybody i personally know do you have thoughts into how or why do you think it really is the shareholders like news used to not be a public entity it used to be there were you know a lot of these independent privately owned stations and mm-hmm. and guys with you know and we've all seen the the movies they got the little building with the antenna on it and you know it's it's small time but as they've gotten bigger and i i wonder do you think cable news was like the catalyst for most of this where it became uh it played a part i mean but uh I just, I think of cable news and the promise of cable years ago was, you know, pay this amount per month and no commercials. <laughs> well, that's gone for sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they're I'll, still, they're yeah. still. And that was the promise with streaming and we have same thing. I mean, advertisers are going to find their way into every product that the, what we have to do as, as um, journalists is to say, no, this doesn't cross that line. I mean, you get to use us. Uh, to to tell the news, but you don't get to insert yourself in the news, uh, and and they want to do that all the time because that's where people are watching us, where the eyeballs are. So let's put let's put just a, a little sign in the back of the weather, or let's uh, you know let's just say yeah. sponsored by, and, yeah. and the next thing you know, you've got this this total you know d- dumbing down of the news. Yeah. First of all, because it's sensational. Second of all, because there's ads all through it. Yeah, one of the one of the reasons why we kind of stopped watching a lot of the cable news was the tickers and then it started with just a bottom ticker like sports center which made sense mm-hmm. because sports you don't really need to give your full attention but then i'm trying to listen to information mm-hmm. but then there's like the weather on this side and there's the <laughs> stock ticker on this side yeah. and then there's something and then i just saw this this video um and it was it was a video of the the recent coverage of what's happening in the ukraine and in the middle of that coverage there's i mean there's literally like fires and bombs and reminiscent of what i remember watching 24-hour news during the first iraq invasion it had that same kind of feel but then 70 percent of the screen became an advertisement for applebee's and there were three guys that's that's a meme actually on the on the internet right now yeah yeah and it's just blown up and it's like we're living in a cohen brothers that tells you where we're at you know, this is where to pay the bills and, and more and more, they, they expect that the money will keep coming in, but the viewers are going away. So how do you balance that? Well, you just, you sensationalize it more and more. You get, you make it more gripping, even though the, I mean, the news, let's face it. There's not that much news out there. Like look at a station in the middle, in middle West, uh, Midwest, um, you know, that's a smaller station. They've got a half hour to fill the advertisers have bought the time. So what are we going to do with this half hour? Well, we're going to, we're going to more or less make some news so that we can fill it. And there may not be that much news. There may not be wrecks. Or, or, or casualties or court cases or anything. Uh, but we got to fill it with something. So let's right. make up something. And that's a lot of what you see today. Right. You think that's why some of the, a lot of those stations 
have gone to, and I know you've seen, you know, probably the, the little video clips that run around where it's like every news station is saying essentially the same thing. Like you mentioned, yes. there's four or five. And I think oh. that's kind of where you got, you got the AP that's kind of like running the feed. Yeah, AP, New York Times is hugely influential and it's very liberal. I mean, it's made a lot of mistakes that nobody's calling them on because they're mm. so powerful. Uh, CNN is liberal. Uh, you know, the, the, the basic news conglomerate of the Northeast is liberal. And, and so they control the narrative. Um, and to speak against that is, is really running uphill. Yeah, um, you, you have to you have to go pretty far up the journalistic chain to get permission to counter that. And it's again, it's words. Um, uh, a little argument I got into with my assistant news director was using the word riot for the January 6th attack. Mm. I, I didn't want to call it a riot. Why didn't I want to call it a riot? Because for some six months during the year of 2020, there were there were riots all over, including Portland and Washington, D.C., where people were firing bombs and causing fires and uh, yeah. just general mayhem for about six months. And the, the, re, the media refused to call it a riot. So yeah, it was a protest day of some or... attacks on the Capitol. They wanted to call it a riot and an insurrection. And I'm like, no, it was an attack. It was a violent attack, but yeah. it wasn't an insurrection. It wasn't a riot. Well, I got overruled. In fact, I got called into the principal's office over it and written up because I refused to say the word riot. Mm. And so that's, you know, that's where the rubber meets the road. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating and, and unfortunate because, you know, I think the flip side in a, in a, in a concert, more conservative environment, there may be some like they're, they're the pendulum swinging the other way, right? Where it's, it's not a, it's not even violent. It's just, I mean, I think, you know, yeah. some members of Congress have come out and said, oh, it's perfectly normal civil discourse. And we're like, wait a minute, <laughs> let's not call it that. Let's no, it's not. not. See, that's why it's in the middle. The truth is in the middle somewhere. And that's why yeah. as you, as a news consumer, you really need to take everything with a grain of salt, look through all your sources and, you know, decide for yourself the truth. Listen to the words. Uh, you know, if they're using superlatives, you know, like shocking and, you know, it just gets old. Where is the truth? I mean, I, I think we all yearned for, uh, if you can remember it, the Walter Cronkite and the Huntley Brinkley days, uh, you know, Eric Severide and then Frank Reynolds, where they just kind of told the truth and you, you got to decide. Yeah. yeah, the news used to be really boring. Like as a kid, I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I mean, I, I think I, I, I was born the year you graduated college. Um, but, you know, as a kid in the early 80s, I remember, you know, we had one TV with seven channels and every night, doesn't matter what channel you picked at five or six, you were watching, you know, a guy in a suit read you, yeah. my opinion at that point, boring information. There was no, like the graphics were we like, it, it just, yeah. you didn't have like the man in the street as much. And hindsight, looking back, I'm like, well, it needed to be that on some level. Well, that, that's the other thing. The, the just the facts, right? Yeah, the news gathering tools are very impressive these days. I mean, the immediacy of it is is just toxic, uh, uh, intoxicating, uh, and toxic in some cases. But <laughs> but yeah, I mean, because it lets you get the news right where you're at to to the masses immediately, and yeah. that's where this this process of vetting and confirming must come in or yeah. else you're just you're just spreading rumors. Yeah, it's so true. I, I have a joke that. Um, everything I know about the Kardashians is non-consensual because <laughs> I'll be on my phone or I'll be with my kids and they're telling me things or my phone will pop up and it's who, who dating who. And I'm like, I, this isn't new. I don't care about this. 
So I, someone will ask me something and I'm like, oh yeah, I heard. And I'm like, wait, why do I even know that? And how did I retain that information? Yeah. So it's just like the massive amounts of content. Um, yep. It's fascinating to hear that from, from someone who's in the midst of it. Um, and I appreciate just the candor with which you're well, willing to talk about it. Cause I, I appreciate it's refreshing. that. You know, uh, it's, it's, we just forget how extremely impressionable the news is. It's like, like video games. I, I can't believe people don't think video games are hurtful to young people because mm -hmm. it's all death and destruction. And that, man, that video, especially for, believe it or not, for men who are more visual and don't think as much about what they're seeing. Um, really? It's it's really deadly for these video games. And, and the news has become the same way. I mean, we're showing all kinds of crap on the news of death and destruction and, and mm -hmm. pushing that edge farther and farther is what, you know, should we show the dead body on, on air, you know, get the widow on the set, the whole thing. Yeah. And we're pushing that and it's having an effect. These visual impressions are hugely influential. Yeah. Uh, and, and we, we can't minimize that, you know, that it yeah. these, these, these um, tools we have for news gathering are, are really impressive these days and they're immediate, but we gotta be careful with them. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's uh, things that I've seen on, television or on on in in print used to have like the warning labels right like we're going to show you some graphic content if you got little kids in the room and i can't get to my remote fast enough to shift the channel and and you know we're lucky that we homeschool and we have a pretty open relationship with our kids so i can have right. we have really honest conversations with them about what they may have seen that's great and and so we can help add those layers of context to it um, but I, I it, it sort of begs the question, and, and since we're having such an open conversation, I, yeah, I, I'd love your thoughts on what's become this buzzword of misinformation. Because I did a podcast the other day, and I'll kind of just tell you where I stand on, it, and I'd love to hear your thoughts. Though, is I, I feel like it's being a word that's kind of being weaponized. Like oh. you talk about words having meaning, mm -hmm. I feel like that we get into these places where like defund the police doesn't really mean defund them. It just means shift the money somewhere else. But, but those words. Well, in, yeah. Uh, or, or fake news. I mean, I, I, yeah, I worked up a whole graphic uh, that I was going to post on Instagram and I ended up not posting it because it was a little controversial, but the, basically the meme said, just because you don't agree with it doesn't mean it's misinformation. That's, that's uh, where know, I'm that's, at. That's I, really where it's at is uh, you can't, you can't um, outrightly dismiss certain information just because you don't agree with it. It, it yeah. may not, it may hurt you to hear it, but that doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means right. it's someone else's. And there's also another meme that says, you're not just allowed to your opinion. Everybody has your opinion. You're allowed to your opinion. No, it's you're allowed your educated opinion. Learn mm -hmm. something about the topic you're arguing passionately yeah. for before you argue passionately for it. Uh, yeah. Don't just come out with full emotion and just off the cuff emotions on that. Uh, be learned. If you're going to get into the fray on a topic and debate that, be learned about it. Yeah. Get the yeah. I think, I, I think it's, it's, this is where social media and, and I have oh. a lot of friends who, who hate social media and I don't, I love it because I'm able to keep in touch with people like yourself who I don't get to see all the time. I'm able to learn. I mean, I've made friends that yeah. I met yeah. online first. It and has then, real positives there's real positives to it. And I think, I think we've given up and this is where for me, like the accountability comes in is like, we blame the news. We blame social media. We blame the government but for decisions us. that we're making. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm choosing to it. believe 
Yeah. Or, and like my whole stance on the misinformation was we already have a word for that. And that's called a lie. And then everything <laughs> else is just data. Everything else is just data. We get to take it yep. in and we go, this works for me. This doesn't, this needs more context. And I think we've sort of in this with the polarity in the, in the, in the, uh, of our culture right now, it's like everybody's fighting to be right. And everybody's fighting for their side instead of recognizing like we're all on the same team. Yeah. We're and all Americans. Um, it, but, uh, you know, yeah. this misinformation thing is well, we know for a fact that outside forces are entering our social media sphere and, and just injecting outright lies. It's right. been proven, you know, Romanians, whoever, North Koreans, Russians, whatever. So you got to filter through that. And then you have to filter through, um, the really tilted views of a lot of Americans who are also posting on and they and they haven't done their homework, they haven't become learned about their opinion, and they're posting or reposting lies. And and that's what makes it's 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 a subterfuge you got to wade through to you know to yeah. find the truth. Yeah, and it, I think it's exhausting. I wonder where it is. I because I, I feel and I've shared this with others, and it's kind of why I started the podcast because I sort of did it reluctantly. And, and I felt more of being called to than let's do this. Cause let's face it. There's, there's enough podcasts out there for all of us and, and then some, right. So who needs another, you know, person doing a podcast, but I felt like if I could help people understand that what's happening to them is, is their choice. They get to, they get to navigate that and choose that and, and help people understand, like, we have to go back to no matter how exhausting it is, we have to keep having these conversations. We have to, those people who don't have an educated opinion, but have an opinion, and they're usually the louder of the groups, to be able to say, well, here's some other resources, maybe, and even that's been weaponized. When people said, well, I did my own research, or I've looked into it, and then that gets flipped into, well, you just don't want to talk about it, right? And so I've had to like reframe things I say where I talk to someone and I go, well, I looked, you know, I read some other articles and they're like, oh, you did your own research. Okay. And that puts me in a box. And I'm like, well, no, I don't fit in that box. I'm just letting you know that, yes, I've read my 10 to 12 sources. <laughs> Have you seen these other ones? Because all you're yes. doing is sort of parroting one course yeah. that maybe you missed the retraction, maybe you missed the context. And how do you guys do like, that's, that's been a layer for me that I find really frustrating is yeah. there's the headline and then you have to read the article or you have to watch the story for the context. But a lot of times there's, there's, you guys are restricted by time. So there's a lot of context. Yeah, that's and that's another out. limitation of, of TV news is that it's really anymore just a headline service. I know. So we have what we call packaged reports or packages uh, that are uh, pre-recorded and, and and narrated by the reporter, and the images are are put together with an editor, and that's a story. It's a package to us, and and those are now pretty much limited to one to one and a half minutes, maybe. You're lucky if, as an investigative reporter, you get six minutes <clears throat> for your deep investigation. Um, so, you know, th to me, that's just really limiting. So we are nothing more than a headline service in TV news, especially locally. So if you really want depth, you've got to go to print. I mean, and, and nobody has the attention for that anymore. Nobody wants to read a right. 20 minute, 30 minute article. Yeah. They just 140 characters, they man. I got 140 characters and that's it. Cause how do you unpack? Like we just celebrated and I use that term very loosely. 
the 10 year anniversary of Trayvon Martin's death. How do you do a minute and a half and, and do that any justice? Well, they, they do, they try. And sometimes it's very artful um, and they, they do a fair representation, but it's, it's, the writing has to be more and more economical and, and uh, yeah. frugal and, and you, you miss something there in, in between the lines. Yeah. Who do you think is doing it best? Uh, I know the bar's low, but like, <laughs> do I, I don't think? think anybody's really getting it right. Um, and that's really? a really harsh uh, judgment. <clears throat> but, um, uh, you know, I like Wall Street Journal. I think they really struggle to get it right. Um, uh, um, I, that's one of my main sources. Um, and I just, I'll leave it there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. I, I, I imagine it's it's hard being in it being able to so do you have journalists um because i found myself not aligning with any entity i found myself starting to follow journalists you know yeah, whether it's and, and wherever they're at whether it's on Substack or whether it's they wrote a piece for the atlantic or they wrote a piece for rolling stone or right. they wrote a piece for because like rolling stone to me has 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 just gone off the rails yeah. as a as a publication but if there's a band i like or a thing i like i'll read it but if it's written by a specific author specific journalist i'm much more likely to grab it and want to read it so do you there's have some really smart people you know today publishing uh either online or in video or blogging or blogging or or yes substack as you mentioned um but again you've got to if you really want the truth you've got to temper your the people you follow by following some people that you don't necessarily yeah. like or agree with. Yeah, I agree. I think you got, you <clears throat> got to be willing to go into the lion's den yeah. and, and, and you got to listen. I find myself taking out all the sensational words, right? Like every third word, I'm like, okay, ignore that one. So even when I'm reading it, if it's an <laughs> adjective, I kind of glaze over it. So just give me the information because it's all those adjectives and all those superlatives, like you said, that sort of, spin the narrative into yeah i can usually tell within the first two paragraphs of any article i read online you know what their what their political bent is because you like you said you can pick out those words there are some operations that are trying to be totally neutral i think um the nation is one uh and i believe it's a broadcast that's coming out of chicago and it's they try to be just vanilla plain clear you know no frills and uh, it's not particularly engaging but you get pretty much unadorned news yeah interesting interesting <laughs> man it's i mean we could spend hours and hours <laughs> unpacking the industry of of television news and print media and, and and how we're getting information um i want to shift gears a little bit though because you in your journalistic space shifted yourself and and dove into voice acting right and and like not just like oh let me see if i can get some gigs you you wrote a book about voice acting you <laughs> started a foundation for voice actors that's like, right it doesn't seem like dave does anything sort of on the outs on the edge <laughs> like you are all in yeah and, and so talk to me about your voice acting stuff what, what brought, so, was that just well i um when i got to a certain point in my journalism career i I realized that um this wasn't going to last forever and i needed something else to do and uh, and so i launched into voice acting thinking well how hard can this be um you know i've been a dj i've been at news forever which does a lot of voiceover you know the images 
And uh, I use my voice all the time. And I figure, well, this can't be that much of a transition. Turned out I was totally wrong. Um, first of all, the voiceover community um, really doesn't accept newscasters or DJs at all that they, they in fact i've never i've tried to never mention that i'm a newscaster because they immediately pigeonhole you into oh well he's got that news delivery and it's true yeah. i do after so many years i have this delivery that's very direct and and uh, you know very unadorned with all kinds of uh, frilly words like i know and you know you know and yeah uh so um that didn't really work for me very well uh, as far as doing commercial copy you know they want conversational that's that's the buzz yeah. be conversational uh, and yet they throw you this 30 seconds worth of copy that's all salesy and i you yeah, know it's not conversational like conversational you know so <laughs> you're anyway, like i would never say this in a conversation <laughs> i would you know so so i've had you know i've done i've done audiobooks i've done promos i've done i mean there's a there's a million different niches within uh, the voiceover heading there's there's you know there's uh, games, there's video games, there's uh, anime. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Network promos, local promos, uh, radio uh, uh, imaging. I mean, there's there's a ton. And I, I started out thinking, well, audiobooks has got to be great. And and I did about 50 titles. And and it turns out wow. to be a lot of work for not much pay. It's, it's really? a labor of love. So then I switched to commercials and I had not much luck there because I got this news delivery. Yeah. <clears throat> so what I've settled on is a lot of what they call e-learning, which is corporate work uh, that comes to you in the form of, um, uh, you know, slideshows and explainer videos and uh, uh, the the very the uh, the training videos that a lot of corporations put out on a yeah. on a, a certain uh, format that comes through. Um, what is the uh, there's an Adobe. I can't think of the name of it. There's an Adobe program that where you build e-learning, which is you know video yeah. and audio presentation together. Okay. Now, but now even that is being infringed upon by AI. So a lot of AI voices being used today, and and yes, they still sound robotic. It's getting better and better, but it's yeah, it's uh, it's now infringing on a lot of the marketplace for people who do uh, e-learning because uh, viewers and consumers of e-learning will tolerate a robotic voice. Audiobooks, yeah. not not so much. Really, so there's a. I Oh gosh, I mean, I, I'm thinking of of like just Alexa, which in Siri, which kind of have it pretty right, and they still drive me crazy. Like, yeah. Or if I if uh, some of the shows that I've seen or things where it's it's reading back, you know, because I mean, I have a house full of kids, so I watch all well, my TikTok. TV. You know, the, the the audio you hear on TikTok very often is is totally automated. Yeah, uh, yeah. There you go. There's a great example, and and which raises this really. Uh, interesting question about ai because it's becoming a thing like i wouldn't be surprised if down the road there are no newscasters and well, it's we, all just I, images joked and about voiceover. That in the newsroom um so how do you how do you trim a budget in in a broadcasting or journalistic enterprise you cut people people yeah. are expensive so the more people you can cut uh, the the less money you're spending on the operation. So now it's become in, in even in local TV and, and it ha this happened at radio 12, 15 years ago. And that's the uh, automation and the, the hubbing of operations. Yeah. So uh, Sacramento handles the accounting for uh, 20 stations in the West, you know, or, or we, we get rid of production staff by uh, put, you know, in, installing an, an auto automatic uh, production yeah. 
uh, process into the news. And uh, anytime you cut a person, you save some money. So yeah. I've been joking to my co-anchor. I said, soon it's going to be AI Dave and Avatar <laughs> Dave that you'll see on the news. That's yeah. really what, you know, it could happen. Yeah. Well, I've seen, I've seen roadside newscasters that used to be like the van and like a cameraman or two and a person there's would be a guy with a camera and a guy in the van and a, and a newscaster on the side of the road now what i've seen is like a news person, person with an iphone with an iphone in their honda civic <laughs> like it's not, like they're just doing you know, like that poor person is now the cameraman the producer the editor the well the, you know yeah it used to be uh, a two-man crew minimum uh, now it's called an MMJ, a multimedia journalist. And yes, you've got your smartphone and you, and that's it. Yeah. Which and is it's possible. Mean, it's possible because the video is not bad and the audio is yeah. not bad either. I mean, this is what I'm talking about. The tools have gotten yeah. crazy good. Yeah. And the better the tools get, like you said, like the more, I mean, shareholders, which is so funny to me because we often hear people complain about big business and corporations. And then in the same breath, they're, they're, they're celebrating their 401k. And I'm like, well, your 401k is based on that big business. And the, you are the shareholder that's driving the profitability. Right. Like it's this circle. But so in the voice acting, in, in the voice acting realm, um, what caused you to go, you know, we need a foundation. We need a, we need a way to bring more people or like, what does your foundation do? And, and, and who do you guys serve? So every, um, I, I feel like every profession comes to a crescendo where there's enough people of enough, the same ilk that they want to organize into a, a body that sets standards, yeah. uh, you know, that, that holds to the high road. And, and I didn't see anything like that in voiceover there, there's no, you don't get it. There's no college courses in voice acting. You, they just don't exist. And there's no okay. certifying um, body that, you know, anybody can claim to be a voice actor and many do, um, yeah. you know, I got a USB mic and a laptop. I'm a voice actor, uh, yeah. bring the sacks of money to my door, you know, that, and so there's no certifying body. And so there, I just felt like somebody needs to draw the line. What, what, what are the standards? And so me and three or four other guys uh, created world voices. Uh, and we've now got hundreds of members people that agree with us that there are certain standards as a producer, as a, as a talent, as a client, um, as a coach, uh, you have to kind of hold to the line of, of you know, what's yeah. And so we had, we had a, a Supreme court lawyer, a guy who's, who's uh, barred into the Supreme court. He can't appear as a Supreme court lawyer. We had him draft a, a whole series of uh, codes of conduct. And, and that's what we live by. Uh, we like to think it it holds people's feet to the to the fire on what's right and what's wrong. I mean, we're not setting ourselves up as some high and mighty organization. We just think sure. we're stating the obvious. You know, yeah. um, th there's also a, a thing in voice acting that's that's very true. I'm just prattling on here, so stop me. Uh, oh, you're good. <laughs> it's very true about all gig businesses now. So you know, the the freelance photographer, the freelance writer, the freelance webmaster, the freelance graphic artist, the freelance yeah. voice actor. They're all subject to um, finding their own business, and and mm -hmm. lots of times you end up bidding against your your fellow peers, and yeah. that dumbs down the price. And and sure, people who are hiring you love that, uh, but it also kind of it sullies the, the profession. You know, it does. you yeah. should not have to give in on your price point just to get the job because yeah. you're a professional. 
like anybody yeah, else. And so we we're, fight, we're fighting that battle too in voice acting. Yeah. And that makes sense. I mean, I remember as an interior designer, uh, when I worked in Las Vegas, um, in that industry, we had the IIDA and a couple of other organizations. And one of the things was like a, a quality interior designer is going to charge X and, and this kind of sets the standard so that if somebody's out there charging well below that, that should tell the client something and we should hold each other and it's undercutting your fellow designers and we're not elevating the industry. Right. And I just had this conversation. I have a, a friend of mine who's sort of a budding graphic designer and she was asking me like, what do I charge and how do I do this? And I've done graphic design work for nonprofits. And I said, it's really hard because you, you can charge what people will pay because there's websites like Fiverr where for $5, you can get a corporate logo I know. and, and, you know, that undercuts the design industry in, yeah. in some ways. I mean, it's great for the end user, but. And that, that Fiverr marketplace is not going to go away. It's there to stay now. And so what yeah. you have to do as your own, um, as your own boss, because you're a gig a gig entrepreneur, you have to just, you have to set your own worth and stand by it. I'm not yeah. going to go below a certain price. I'm worth it. I've got the coaching, the equipment. I spent the time I've been practicing. I've, I'm a professional. I don't, yeah. I'm not going to compete against somebody else. Who's not for your dollar. I'm going to hold right. it. And luckily there are people who can discern that and who will pay you your price because they know you're a professional. Yeah. I think, I think you're right there. I think that the, the, cream rises to the top and i think that people will recognize and they may go through a service and we'll just beat up on fiverr because they're easy but they go through a service like that two or three times and then they're like okay yeah. i've got to go right let me go find a professional or let me right because every business is going to have this this trajectory where they're going to start out with one logo one thing but now i need letterhead now i need apparel now i need like there's all these other things and uh, you know that's what i try to help people understand when i do graphic design work for them is like they'll come to me with, I want these 12 colors and I want this and I want that. And I'm like, okay, great. Are you ever going to do hats and shirts? Well, probably. Okay. Then you need a version of that. That is two colors that we can print easily yeah. and that you can, and they right. don't think about those things. You and, do some educating. Yeah. Yeah. You have to sort of, and that, and that's where I think you can kind of show, Hey, I know what I'm talking about. I'm going to bring value to your process and to your thing. Yeah, and you, you become know, you should sell yourself as becoming part of their team. You're helping them be successful, and in, in doing so, you get to be successful yeah. too. But you know, you, you kind of have to just um, be part of their team and show that you you're concerned about their business too. Yeah, and that gets you that endears you to them, and that that's seen as you know a quality a quality person, a quality yeah. um, virtual assistant. Basically, do you find the voice acting journey that you've been on to be the fulfilling piece like I, I get the sense and, and for, correct me if i'm wrong but i get the sense that the news journey is has become sort of a job and and you're great at it and and you're sought after and so that's there's value there but i feel like the a lot of times as industries shift we have to have a thing that fulfills us we have to have the creative outlet because you don't get to be very creative in your day job i don't imagine i could be wrong no, you know, the creative part of being in voice acting is not so much the talent portion. I got that. I got that. The, the creative <laughs> uh, challenge for me has been the marketing. So, mm. you know, as a voice actor, I'm, I'm my own editor, my own audio engineer, my own um, uh, marketer, promotional, 
I do, you know, I, I've got, it's, you wear all those hats at once as, as a single entrepreneur. And yeah. I, I can do the, I can do the auditioning and the talent portion. It's the marketing that I really struggle with, but you're right. It's, it's a creative process that I really enjoy. It's a challenge. And um, uh, it's not just a given to me after, you know, after 40 years in broadcasting, I can kind of uh, pick my place um, yeah. because I, I'm respected in that. You've earned it. Yeah. In that area, but I've earned it. Right. But in voice acting, I'm just another guy. I'm just another voice out there. And, and yeah. uh, it's a challenge to buck, you know, all the other good voices out there and their marketing efforts and, and get the job. Yeah. Yeah. I love that the, I don't know, tenacity or the drive or the, the, whatever the proper adjective is in that, because a lot of people who would be in your position, who've earned it, would be totally content to rest on their laurels, totally content to make their money, do their thing, stay home, be with their <clears> family. <throat> and, and, and not that you're not with your family you're one of, you know, you, I, I respect you as a father and as a family person, your Thanks. girls are amazing. Um, watching the stuff that they do is, is great. <laughs> so I don't mean to say that most, most no, guys no, are home I, their family, I appreciate by that. Now. But that you still have drive to go, yeah. how do I make this better? How do I do this differently? Yeah, and I, I hope that's not a bad thing. I, I, I like being productive and I like being busy. And so in that sense, retirement, <clears throat> excuse me, retirement a little scares me. And I did retire from TV news in 2017 and it didn't go well for me. I, I, I had trouble adjusting with that. And I need to really think about why that went wrong. But then uh, one of the other stations in Vegas came after me and started, you know, and that's very flattering. And, and especially since I'm an old white guy yeah. um, and you know, you don't get jobs anymore. So to have someone come after me and say, we want you, I, I found that, you know, very flattering. I said, you know, I'll, I'll give it a go again. So I'm in my second year now uh, of another go round ever after having said goodbye, but I'm, I'm really examining it in my own life, what it's going to take to leave this very yeah heady, high-profile job and become a nobody, uh, and, and so to speak, and yeah. still be happy. And so it's, yeah. it's a real transition. Um, and, and I've spent a great deal of time thinking about it and, and actually getting counseling on it and trying really? to figure out how I'm going to make this transition and still be happy. Yeah. Yeah. Is that because the last time you faced some challenges and like, were you, were you blindsided by that? Like, cause I, I think a lot of people when they retire, they're well, kind of like, well, this is going to be tricky. Well, you know, they say there's about five things in life that, that can really thrill you. And of course that's a uh, financial troubles, a uh, divorce, a move, uh, loss of a job. And, and you know, I can't think of all five of them, but uh, I hit two or three of those at once. And, <laughs> yeah. and I just, it kind of whacked me and, and, um, I, I didn't prepare well enough. I thought I did. Um, but I found out what a challenge that was for, I'm very driven and, and I like being busy. Like I said, I like being productive and to all of a sudden just find myself twiddling my thumbs. It was very uncomfortable for me. So I've got to really work at that. And my wife keeps hammering at me. You got to have something. You get, next time you retire, you got to have something to do. You know, your yeah, yeah. brother-in-law has a woodworking shop. Maybe you should do that. Yeah. yeah there you go. <laughs> I'll find something. I've taken up harmonica. You know, what can I yeah. say? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. What, so, so retirement for you, where do you land? Like if you could retire anywhere, where would you go? Well, my wife and I own a home and I live and work in Las Vegas right now, but my wife and I own a home in Missouri and that's her, uh, that's her home base. I grew up in Illinois, which is close by. And yeah. uh, that's probably where we're going to end up because I'm, I'm familiar with the Midwest, all the pros and cons of it. Uh, you know, there's humidity and bugs, but there's also the lovely change of seasons and, and uh, yeah. rain. I miss rain here in Las yeah. Vegas. Yeah. You don't get any rain out there. No, you don't. And so, uh, you know, it's, 
wherever you live, there are pros and cons. I mean, there's yeah. no perfect place to live. Uh, so uh, you're in Colorado Springs, which is a great community. I love Garden Beautiful. of the Gods. And, and uh, it's a very soulful community, too. There's a lot of really good spiritual influences there. Um, so <clears throat> you just got to take the good with the bad. And, and um, the location doesn't matter. It's the relationships you build yeah. that, that matter. And I'm working that. on that, too. I love that. I think that's true. I think it, it's super important to recognize. And we just uh, recently had a, a, a message at church about the who, not the what. And it really resonated with me because my, my wife and I, as you know, we've made a lot of sort of different choices in our life to yeah. do network marketing, to build our own stuff, to homeschool our kids. And a lot of that is driven by, I only have these tiny humans for a short period of time. And so we've, we've always when the rubbers met the road, you know, we've always managed to put the who first and you know, relationships are just, they're incredibly, well, it's everything. I think, you know, it, it, relationship marketing is, is what's going to make you a success in most endeavors. Uh, and it's also the very hardest thing to do. Relationships are tough, you know, keeping friends and, and keeping family members uh, close to you is it takes work. It's, it's, it does. It takes energy and it's not easy, but it's also very worthwhile and endearing. Yeah. And, and uh, so to me, relationships are the toughest thing, but also the most essential thing about life. Yeah. How are you managing, if, if I could ask a very personal question, how do you manage the long distance? Yeah. Because your wife still lives in, in Missouri. She does. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, um, you know, I think she was less enthusiastic about it <laughs> than I was. <laughs> uh, but I'm, I really try, I call her three or four times a day. We have long talks. We have better talks on the phone than we did in person, actually. And, and I also travel there. In fact, I'm leaving there to go there this weekend. And in, in another four weeks, I'll be there for 10 days. And so I'm really, I'm doing the back and forth thing. I'm an, I'm an A-lister on Southwest Airlines. And uh, I, believe, I believe, I don't mind. It's a three hour flight to St. Louis and then an hour and a half drive down to where uh, we live. And, um, I feel like I'm entering back into my uh, my real place in life when I go there because I'm from the Midwest and I I, mm. I like the green you know and and I uh, I also like Las Vegas for a lot of things too. It's what yeah. I said you know the place doesn't matter. I I love the West for the austere dry beauty of the mountains and and the big sky country. That's that's yeah. very uh, actually inspiring. But I also love the Midwest. You know that's so yeah. that's what you got to appreciate where you are. Yeah, I found when we moved here. I would, I was commuting back and forth. I still worked in Las Vegas for a year. Right. Um, and, and doing the big first Friday festival out there, out there as the production manager. So I was, I was flying back once a month and for probably the first six months, I would be like, all right, I'm flying home. And I would fly to Vegas and do this. And after about the fifth or sixth month, I remember very distinctly getting off the plane and, and having not been, I think we skipped a month. So it was like a two month break mm -hmm. and not hearing the jingle of casino or not hearing. So I got off the plane into McCarran airport. Um, and, and was like, Oh, this isn't home anymore. I left home to come here. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a very, and I still, you know, I, I appreciate Las Vegas, uh, but this community here, with weather and cold, I've really come to appreciate the cold mm -hmm. and not like the heat. Change of the and, seasons, yeah. 
It's yeah, I, I like that. And change is good. I mean, so it tunes you into the changes that life brings. Whereas in Vegas, it's it's pretty much clear and sunny all the time. Yeah. And yeah. that's that's great if you want to plan an outdoor activity, but it also gets monotonous, you know. Yeah. And does. I hear the same thing from people living in the Seattle or Portland. They're like, oh, get get rid of the clouds. It's just endless. Yeah. Bring me some sun. Same yeah. Thing. Tell tell somebody in Seattle you missed the rain. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. They're gonna think you're crazy. Well, listen, man, I, is there anything you want to plug or promote or, or Oh, share? shucks, I don't know. Um, I, if you're looking for a voice, go to Corvo.com, C-O-U-R-V-O.com. Uh, that's where all my demos are and stuff. But but no, other than that, I really enjoy talking about it. And I'm, I'm very rarely asked, uh, actually, Keith, to, you know, to talk about it very transparently. And I appreciate the, the opportunity to do so. Yeah. Thank you. No, I, I'm grateful. I, you, like I said, you were on my chicken list for about <laughs> six months. And I was like, I don't know. He probably gets asked all the time. And well, I want to thank you in case your listeners don't know. I, I called Keith to, to get his take on some, uh, on some issues about human trafficking, which is rampant here in Las Vegas. And Keith yes. is a ready source on that. And, and I really appreciated your help too. So thank you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's uh, I'm getting ready to to hopefully align with a with a new organization. I've taken about a year off from wow. that work at, to for mental health, and it's yeah. it's oh, heavy. It's, it's hard. It's a heavy thing, and and I was yeah. working very very tightly with a group, and and I talk about it here often, but I appreciate it, and and thank you for reaching out to me. Yeah, and, you bet. Uh, what a great conversation, and I think the big takeaway for me is like the relationships matter, and take everything with a grain of salt which is pretty good pretty advice good summation there you go there's your headline <laughs> there it is that's pretty good advice man thank you so much for taking the time tell your family i said hello same here and, uh, thank you well man let's do this again in a while all right god bless awesome.